Hello and welcome to the podcast of Chesbro Baptist Church. This morning we're going to talk about being filled with the Spirit, about having the fullness of God and having the power of God. The title of the message this morning is The Protocol for Power, is a formula and procedures in order to be filled with the Spirit of God. Please enjoy. Ephesians chapter 3 this morning. I'm going to ask you if you have your places in Ephesians chapter 3. I'm going to ask you to stand in respect and reverence for the Word of God as we read the Scriptures. We're going to be in reading in Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to start reading in verse number 16 and read down through verse number 20. The Bible says that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. The title of the message this morning is The Protocol for Power. The Protocol for Power. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you'd be with our service this morning. I pray that you'd bless us from the Word of God. I pray that you'd touch our hearts, and I pray that you'd open our minds. I pray we experience the fullness of your Spirit this morning. For ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name I pray, amen. You may be seated. And do keep your Bibles handy throughout this service, the morning service. We'll be turning to a few different passages of Scripture this morning. So be sure to keep your Bible handy this morning. At the close of World War II, a magazine came out that had an ad in it. In this magazine ad, the top part was a picture of a huge tank bearing down on this infantry infantry soldier. Now the proportions were way off. The tank was way bigger than a tank should be and the small was the, the man was smaller than a soldier would be. But you could see this tank bearing down on this soldier almost about to crush this soldier. At the bottom of the ad, at the, the picture on the bottom, it was seen was a little bit different. You had the same tank and you had the same soldier, but this time the soldier had a bazooka. He had a rocket launcher. And now the proportions were changed again. Now the tank was smaller than a tank should be, and the soldier was just about as big as the tank, or maybe even a little bigger. And basically is that bazooka was the equalizer. That bazooka was, you know, the rocket launcher was like it put them on even ground. And you see, and that's like the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God being spirit-filled, that's our bazooka. That's our infantry. And when sin comes up in our life and the conflict of sin arises, we can't do a thing. However, if we have the power of the Spirit of God, we have the fullness of the Spirit of God, we can make a stand and we do have a chance. Now, let me tell you something. Uh, of course, everybody knows I run an old chain shop at, at, uh, up in Macomb. And at this shop, we have rules 
and we have procedures and we have protocols. And a lot of times the reason for rule is because we've had an instance in the past that made us make the rule. For instance, we have a new rule that you cannot drain oil out of a car unless you physically ask the customer, are they getting an oil change? You'd think, well, if the, if the person is pulling into an oil change shop, wouldn't you just assume they were getting an oil change? <laughs> You'd think so. But then after you drain a couple cars and they say, I just wanted my tires checked, you make a rule and you make a procedure. Another rule that we have is we also don't train a car <clears throat> until the hood is popped because it's really hard to put oil in a car when you can't get the hood up. And so a lot of the rules and the procedures that we have at our shop are because we had an issue in the past and we made a rule. And now when something bad does happen and something bad does go wrong, it's probably because somebody didn't follow procedure. It's probably because somebody didn't follow the rule. It's probably because somebody did not follow the protocol. Well, that's the word I want to focus on this morning. I want to focus on that word protocol. What exactly does protocol mean? Here's the definition. Protocol is specific guidelines for correct conduct that must be followed. Specific guidelines for correct conduct, conduct that must be followed. If we have anybody in here with a military background, you know what a protocol is. And what I'm here to tell you this morning, that if you want to be filled with, if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, if you want the fullness of God in your life, if you want the power of God in your life, then there's a protocol you have to follow. If you want the fullness of God, you want to be filled with the Spirit, and you want the power of God, you have to follow a certain protocol. And what I'm here to do this morning is I'm here to give you the protocol for power. Here's the thing, though. Here's the thing. There's four of them, and I guarantee you, your, fl your flesh is going to hate all four of them. Your flesh isn't just going to hate one or two or three. I guarantee you, your flesh is going to hate all four parts of the protocol of power. So you know what? Before I give you the protocol, and I want to start out by giving you the consequences of the protocol. I want to start out by giving you the reward to the protocol. I'm going to start out by giving you the fruit of the protocol so that when you do get the protocol, you'll be motivated to follow the guidelines in order to get the Spirit of God if you know the fruit or you know the consequences of the protocol. So I'm just going to jump right in it this morning. Here's the consequence number one. If you follow the protocol of power, this is the first, uh, this is the first consequence of that. And it's called divine illumination. Divine illumination. What is divine illumination? Divine illumination is the ability to know right from wrong. That is something that the Holy Spirit can give you in your life. The divine illumination is the ability to know in which direction I need to go in. Divine illumination is the part of the Holy Spirit that when you come to a crossroads in your life and you've got option A and you've got option B, you have the ability to know which way God wants you to go because you're filled with the Holy Spirit and you have divine 
illumination. This is part of it. Let me read for you John chapter 16 and verse number 13. Howbeit then he, the spirit of truth is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. That sounds like divine illumination through the spirit of God to me. Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. While you're turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I'm going to read you another verse. This is Ephesians 1.17. You're turning to 1 Corinthians 2, but I'm going to read you Ephesians 1.17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. So there again, once you know, I can, through the Spirit of God, I can have divine illumination. If you have your places in 1 Corinthians 2, we're going to read verses 13 and 14 and then hold it open. We'll get a few more verses in just a minute. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually. So what we have here is we have the natural man. Now what is the natural man? The natural man is someone who's never been regenerated in Christ. The natural man is someone who does not have a relationship with the Lord. The natural man is someone who is not a child of God. The natural man is someone who has never been saved. They don't have a relationship with God. I stopped becoming a natural man when I was nine years old. Nine years old, I accepted the Christ as my Savior, and I quit being a natural man. Now, I have some memories before I was nine. Not a whole lot. I really don't remember what it was like to be a natural man because it was so long ago. But some of you were different. Some of you, you were saved when you were an adult. Some of you remember what it was like to be unsaved. Some of you remember what it was like to be the natural man. And you understand that when you're the natural man and you sit in a preaching service and you hear a preacher stand up and preach, you leave that service and you go... What was he talking about? What in the world was going on up in there? Or you open up the word of God and you read the Bible. And after you read your Bible, you're like, I can't understand that. I don't understand what this book is trying to tell me. I don't understand it all. It's like you read the Bible as a natural man. It's like you're reading a Greek lexicon. You just don't understand it. Why? Because you are the natural man. You know what? That could be an indicator that something's wrong. If you don't get anything out of a preaching service and you can't get anything out of the, out of the Word of God, that could be an indicator that there's, a, that there's an issue. There could be an indicator that, that, that there's a problem. Maybe you're still a natural man. An unsaved person would think what we're talking is foolishness. An unsaved person would come in here. We'd be talking about power and spirits and, and all this stuff. And they think what we're talking is foolishness. But to those who are saved, what we're talking about is the power of God. If you are saved today, you are no longer a natural man. You fall under one of two categories. Number one, you are a spirit-filled person. Or number two, you are a carnal believer led by your flesh. If you are saved... You're one of those two. 
You're either a spirit-filled Christian or you're a carnal believer led by your flesh. Now, if you are a carnal believer being led by your flesh, then you understand what I'm saying. You understand what I'm talking about. You understand what the preacher says. You understand what the Bible says. You just choose not to follow it. Choose not to do it. You choose not to act upon it because you're a carnal believer. Let's continue reading in 1 Corinthians 2. We'll restart in verse number 15. <clears throat> but he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. Man, that's amazing. I can have the mind of Christ. How do I get the mind of Christ? Through the Holy Spirit of God. That's how I get the mind of Christ. You know what divine illumination, the mind of Christ, you know, what those, you know what those things will give me the ability to do? Number one, it will give me the ability to discern. It will give me the ability to discern. To, to discern. What that means is it will give me the ability to recognize God. Now when something happens in my life and God works in my life, it's not just a coincidence. Now I see God working. When a prayer gets answered in my life, it's not just a happenstance. It's actually God working. And now that I'm filled with the Holy Spirit and I'm filled with the fullness of God and I'm filled with the power of God, when God acts in my life, I have the ability to say, hey, there's God. There he is right there. I just saw him work. And this fullness of God will give you the ability to discern and recognize God. Another thing that the Spirit of God will do is give you the ability to detect. It will give you the ability to detect. So first we have the ability to discern. Now we have the ability to detect. What am I detecting? You're detecting evil things that creep in your life. See, before you were spirit-filled, evil could lurk and sneak up behind you and trick you and can get over on you it can slowly creep up behind you but when you're filled with the spirit of god evil can't trick you like that you have the ability to detect it as somebody as soon as somebody steps over that motion detector you're like whoa whoa what's going on holy spirit tell me something bad is going on over here so under divine illumination, I have the ability to discern. I have the ability to detect. And now I have the ability to direct. Now I have the ability to know which way God wants me to go. When you're filled with the Spirit of God and you have a choice come up in your life, you know which choice God wants you to go in because the Holy Spirit has told you that. So now I have the ability to discern. I have the ability to detect. I have the ability to direct. To direct. Now I have the ability to declare. The ability to declare, what are you talking about? You see, when you're filled with the Spirit of God, sometimes your mouth can be moving and words can be coming out of your mouth, but it's not you that's talking. It's the Spirit of God that talks through you. 
when a preacher stands up and he's full of the Spirit of God and he begins to preach, it's not necessarily the preacher that's preaching. It's the Holy Spirit that preaches through him. When somebody comes up in your life and they ask you about the Lord and they start talking about Scripture or they ask you about salvation or they, they got something bad in their life and they got a bad news from the doctor and they've got this, that, and the other and you start talking to them, the whole of your spirit filled, you're not talking to them the Holy Spirit talks to them that's why you know exactly what to say that's why a scripture pops in your head that you didn't think about before that's why when, why when they ask you a question you have the exact right answer that answers not only answers their question but leads you into your next point because that's the Holy Spirit declaring through you you not only have the ability, uh, you have the ability to discern, detect, direct, but then also to declare. You can talk and words can be coming out, but it's not you that's talking. It's the Holy Spirit. So what do we have next? Number two. First, we had divine illumination. What's the next consequence of the protocol? Next is we have a powerful witness. Well, first, we have a divine illumination. And next, we have a powerful witness. I think we all want to be good witnesses for Christ. Every one of us does. There's not one person in here probably that says that doesn't say, I don't want to be a good witness for Christ. We all want to be a good witness for Christ. Let me read for you Acts 1.8. But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost just come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and into the uttermost part of the earth. When you are spirit-filled, when you follow the protocol of power, and you live a life that is full of the fullness of God, that is full of the Holy Spirit of God, and you're living in fullness of God, you become a powerful, powerful witness. You understand that being full of the Holy Spirit will give you a boldness. It will give you a boldness that you did not know you had. And you will go up and talk to people and you will witness to people. And those people that used to intimidate you or your mom or dad that in, you, you know, intimidated you a little bit when you were talking to them about the Bible. But now you feel with the Holy Spirit. Now you don't have that tib in this anymore. You've got a boldness because you're filled with the Spirit of God. I want to tell you first this morning, he gives you a confidence. Under being a powerful witness, being filled with the Holy Spirit will give you a confidence. That's that boldness. Now you have confidence to go and spread the word of God. Now you have confidence to witness to that person. Next, it will give you a compassion. So not only do I have confidence, now, now I have a compassion. Now when I see somebody at a gas station, I don't see just average Joe Blow. I see a soul. A soul that is either going to spend an eternity in heaven or a soul that is either going to spend an eternity in hell. Now when I look at people, I just don't see random people. I have a compassion and I see a soul that is going to spend eternity there somewhere. So it gives you a confidence, it gives you a compassion, but then it also gives you a clarity. It gives you a clarity. That goes back to what I said about declaring. It gives you a clarity because you're, you're talking to someone about being saved and the words just come to you. You're talking about someone being saved and, and the, a scripture pops in your head. 
You're talking to someone about being saved in an illustration that you under, that you know they would understand that would explain your point. That illustration pops in your head and you start illustrating. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has given you clarity. You know what else you need to lead somebody to the Lord? You not only need a confidence, you not only need a compassion, you not only need clarity, but you know the other person needs something too. They need conviction. No one is ever going to get saved unless the Holy Spirit convicts them. Unless the Holy Spirit comes down and shows them that they're lost and shows them that they're on their way to hell and shows them that they're in need of a Savior. Nobody is going to get saved unless there is a conviction. And if you are Spirit-filled and full of the fullness of God, the Holy Spirit will convict that person. And you're going to see one of two things. You're going to leave somebody to the Lord either in the spirit or you're going to lead somebody to the Lord in the flesh. You know what it feels like to lead somebody to the Lord in the flesh? When we were, when the, when the kids were born and babies and we lived in Macomb, we'd take them to the Macomb Children's Clinic. In the Macomb Children's Clinic, over to one side is a little kitty table. On that little table, there's these little wires that go up and down like this and you grab a little wooden block and you Go it along, you push it along the wire until it gets over here. And then you come and you get the other one and you push it all and until all the wires are over there. But on the table is a bunch of shapes. There's a circle and a square and a star and a pentagon. And there are all these shaped holes. And then you have the actual shapes in plastic pieces. And what the kid would do is find the right shape and put the right shape in the right hole. Leading somebody to the Lord in the flesh is like taking a circle and trying to shove it in a square hole. It's not going to work. It's not going to fit. And what's going to happen when you try to lead somebody to the Lord in the flesh is you're going to fail. You're going to fail because you're doing it in the flesh. Now, I will say this. Not every time you fail, it's because that you were in the flesh. Sometimes you can be full of the Holy Spirit and that person is just not ready to be saved. The difference is that when you do fail, you'll know. You'll know if you fail because that person isn't ready to be saved or you fail because you know I'm in the flesh and that's why I failed. See, that's why it's important to be full of the Spirit of God because He will give you and make you a powerful witness. And you know, well, what's another consequence of the protocol of power? What's another consequence of being filled with the Holy Spirit? Number three, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. So let's review while you, while you, uh, turn, while you turn to Romans chapter 8. First, we have the protocol of power, the results of that. We have divine illumination. We have a powerful witness. And number three, another thing that being filled with the Holy Spirit of God will give you is this victory over sin. It will give you a victory over sin. Let's start reading in verse number 11. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh, for if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. 
But if ye but if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. If you follow the protocol of power and be filled with the Spirit of God, you can have victory over sin. The Jericho that would never come down in your life will finally come down. The Goliath, that giant in your life that you feared and failed over and over against, if you're filled with the Spirit of God, that Goliath can come tumbling down. Let me tell you something. Only the Holy Spirit can conquer lust. Only the Holy Spirit can tame the tongue. You can't tame the tongue. I can't tame the tongue. The Bible says I can't tame the tongue, but the Holy Spirit can. The Holy Spirit can tame the tongue. You can't renew your mind. Only the Holy Spirit can renew your mind. And every day, give you a brand new mind and renew your mind over and over. You can't do that. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. Turn to Acts 7. So what we have, the consequences of the protocol of power, is we have divine illumination. We have a powerful witness. We have victory over sin. And then here's number four. Number four, we have a supernatural forgiveness. A supernatural forgiveness. If so many times when a person has been mistreated or a person has been abused, people are abused. There may be someone in here today You've experienced some abuse in your life. In some form of another, you've experienced abuse from someone. And I'm not going to begin to try to sympathize with you, although I can empathize with your position. Um, I can't imagine living through that. I can't imagine if you in here and you've experienced some, some form of abuse, I can't imagine living through what you've had to live through. But, you know, when somebody uh, does experience some type of abuse and they go to talk to a preacher or they go to a talk to a counselor, not every time, but most instances, inevitably, you'll hear this statement being said by the person who was abused. They'll say something like this. I don't care what you say. I can never forgive that person. I don't care what you say. I can never forgive forgive that person inevitably you'll hear something like that and you know what they're right they're right they will never be able to forgive them they, they won't be able to do it they'll never be able to forgive that person what they need is a supernatural forgiveness they need a supernatural forgiveness and i'm going to tell you the person who can give that the person who can give that supernatural forgiveness is the holy spirit Amen. the holy spirit can give you that supernatural forgiveness let's read for acts chapter 7 let's look at verse number 55 this is talking about stephen but he being full of the holy ghost looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of god and jesus standing on the right hand of god skip down to verse number 59 and they stoned Stephen, 
calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. This isn't an instance where Stephen's like, you know what, Lord, this is something really bad I lived through. But you know, it's a couple years later. I've had time to process it. Maybe I can start to forgive. No, this was in the moment. These people are killing him. These people are taking his life. And in the moment while he is dying, he looks up to heaven and says, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. He forgives them as they're killing him. Where does that come from? What kind of forgiveness is that? What kind of, 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 of forgiveness can someone, while they're in the act of being mistreated, while they're in the act of being abused, Stephen is being killed as he speaks. And he forgives them. How does that happen? If you look back up, verse number 55. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost. That's how that happens. That's how you get a supernatural forgiveness. You get a supernatural forgiveness when you are filled with the Spirit of God. That's how that happens. So what's the next possession you get when you're filled with the Spirit of God? Here's the next possession you get. Number five, you get wonderful possessions. You get wonderful possessions. Oh, I get wonderful possessions? That's great. What are the wonderful possessions that I get? Let me read for you Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. Those are the possessions I can have when I'm filled with the Spirit. I can possess all those things. I can possess love, and I can possess joy, and I can possess peace, and I can possess long-suffering, and I can possess gentleness, and I can possess goodness, and I can possess faith, and I can possess meekness, and I can possess temperance. I can have all those things. You know what all those things are? Those are that's everything I want to be. All everything on that list is everything I want for my life, and I can have those possessions if I'm filled with the Spirit. I'm filled with the Spirit of God. I can have that. Turn your Bibles to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. While you're turning there, let me review just a little bit. So what we have here, we have the protocol of power. But before we get to the protocol, I got to tell you about the rewards you get. I got to tell you about the consequences. Well, number one, the first thing you'll get is you'll get a divine illumination. When you're filled with the Spirit, you'll become a powerful witness. When you're filled with the Spirit of God, you will get a supernatural forgiveness. When you're filled with the Spirit of God, you will get victory over sin. When you're filled with the Spirit of God, you'll get wonderful possessions. And you're like, okay, I can't take it anymore. Tell me, Brother Brett, tell me what the protocol is. I hear about all these things. I want all those things. How do I get it? Well, I think it's about time I told you. So here's the first part of the protocol. This is the formula for being filled with the Spirit. Number one, brokenness in your will. Brokenness in your will. Let's read verse, uh, John 12, verse number 24 and 25. 
Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it. He that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. So back up at verse number 24, John chapter 12. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and what? Die. Dying is another word for being broken. When that seed goes into the ground, it dies when it breaks apart. If that seed never breaks apart, new life cannot come. Until that seed dies to itself, until that seed breaks apart, there will be no fruit from that seed. Your life is the same way. You are broken when you, when you die to yourself. When you die to yourself and you die to your will, you become broken. And only when we become broken can new life shoot forth. Psalms 34, 18 says, The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Psalms 51, 17, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, and a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Every parent in here knows how important it is to break your child's will. It takes time. It takes patience. It takes time and patience to break your child's will. But you know what? Every parent in here can also tell you if you don't break their will when they're young, when they grow up, you are going to have a mess on your hands. We can testify, you know, some can be testified to that maybe. But you know what? The thing is, is that, you know, there are many people, there are many people who get saved young and then they've never surrendered their life to God. There are some people that get saved young and then they've never been sensitive to the Holy Spirit. I want to give you four hard realities about brokenness. Four hard realities about brokenness. Number one, brokenness always reveals a weakness. Brokenness always reveals a weakness. If I get stuck in the mud and Brother Junior comes to pull me out of the mud and he gets that chain and he hooks the chain around my bumper and hooks the chain around his truck and pulls me out of the mud and that chain breaks, where on that chain does it break? You are the weakest link. Goodbye. Some of you don't even remember that game show. All right, so what we have here is, is the chain is going to break at the weakest point. That's where the chain is going to break. We are not a church of perfect Christians. Why? Because we have weaknesses. You do not have a perfect pastor. Why? Because I have weaknesses. What's your weakness today? Don't try to cover it up. Don't try to cover up your weakness. Go to God. Let me tell you something. Until we begin to get transparent about our weaknesses, at least to God, then we'll never be broken. We'll never be broken unless we're transparent to God about our weaknesses. Let's look at Peter. What did Peter say? Peter looked at Jesus and said, Would God that I would die with thee. I will never deny you. And Jesus said, before the cock crows three times, you're going to deny me. 
And what happened? Peter failed that test. What if this would have happened? What if Jesus would have said, Peter, you're going to deny me. And what if Peter would have looked at Jesus and said, you know what, Jesus? I've got a pride problem. And you're right. Right now, I probably would deny you. Will you please help me? Will you please show me what I need to do to get victory over this? Instead of, oh, no, I'll never deny you, Lord. I'll die with you. I'll never deny you. He's covering up his weakness. Maybe if Peter hadn't covered up his weakness, maybe he wouldn't have failed that test. But he didn't. He covered up his weakness. Hey, you know what? Brokenness always reveals a weakness. Another thing that brokenness does is in brokenness, there's always a separation. In brokenness, there's always a separation. Now you've revealed your weakness. Now we got to get rid of it. Now we got to get it out of there. That sin that you love so much, now you got to get rid of it. Number three, brokenness demands a change. Brokenness demands a change. If you don't have to change, then you've never been broken. If you don't have to change, then you've never been broken. Paul's life on the road to Damascus began to change. When did it change? When he was broken. When the Lord struck him with blindness and he became broken, that is when Paul's life began to change because brokenness demands a change. And you know what else? You know what else brokenness does? Brokenness produces a dependence. Brokenness produces a dependence. When you break your arm, your arm is dependent on the rest of your body for it to heal. When you break your leg, then your leg is dependent on the rest of your body. You know, a lot of people think the first WrestleMania happened in 1985. It didn't. It happened in the Old Testament. Because there's an old boy named Jacob. He started wrestling with the angel of the Lord. And I believe the angel of the Lord in that scripture to be the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, he's out there and he's wrestling with the Lord Jesus Christ and they're wrestling all night and they're suplexing and they're doing all this stuff and they're wrestling all night. And then all of a sudden, uh, Jesus reaches over and breaks Jacob's thigh. As soon as Jacob's thigh is broken, he grabs a hold of the Lord and won't let go. It took Jacob being broken for him to finally depend on God. He had to be broken first. And he was changed at that point. That is a point where he stopped being Jacob and he started being Israel. That was the point where he stopped being the deceiver and he started to become the prince with God. That is where Jacob changed. Okay, what's the next? What's number two? What's the next step in the protocol of power? Number two, grieve him not with sin. Grieve him not with sin. There is no way we will ever be filled with the Spirit of God if we grieve him. There is no way we will ever be filled with the Spirit of God if we cause him pain. Let me tell you something about grief. You can't grieve an enemy. You can make an enemy mad at you, but you can't cause that enemy grief. You can't grieve him. Why? 
Because grief, it's a term of love. Love is associated with grief. And, you know, some kids may, may uh, you know, some kids may be grieving their parents and it's not like their parents are angry at them. It's just they're hurt by them. They're disappointed in them. If you grieve the Holy Spirit, he's not angry at you. He's just hurt by you. He's disappointed in you. If some of us treated our friends the way we treat the Holy Spirit, we'd be all alone. And some of us treated our friends like we treated the Holy Spirit. We wouldn't have any friends left. I want you to remember this morning that the Holy Spirit goes everywhere you go. He does everything you do. He hears everything you hear. He experiences everything you say. He sees everything you see. And that's how we can grieve the Holy Spirit if we do what we're not supposed to do. Man, some of the things the Holy Spirit can say to us is he can say, you know what? I miss you, man. Man, we used to hang out. We used to fellowship and we used to spend time together. And every day you'd set aside a little time and you'd spend time with me. But you don't do that anymore. I miss you. Another thing he might say is, you didn't have to do this. You didn't have to do this sin. I gave you a way out. I sold you how you can get out of that temptation, but you decided not to take it. You don't have to do this, man. Man, I feel sorry. I feel bad for you because of what you did. Another thing he might say is, you may think doing this sin is going to satisfy you, but it's not. It's going to leave you more empty than you can ever imagine. Another thing the Holy Spirit might say is, I don't just grieve for you. I grieve for those your sin affects. You're killing your parents. You're killing your spouse. You have no idea what you're doing to your kids. Man, I grieve for you, man. I grieve for you. And you know what else? Uh, the third part of the protocol of power is first we have a uh, uh, we have we have brokenness in your will. Grieve him not with sin. And number three this morning, quench not the spirit. That's a verse. First Thessalonians five nineteen. Quench not the spirit. Now I've always had a picture when it comes to quenching the spirit, and how I've always pictured and I've always preached it is: imagine taking a, a blanket soaked in water, and you take this wet blanket and you throw it over a campfire. That's what I think of when I think of quench. But if you study the word in the Greek, that's not what the word means. The word quench in the Greek, it means to hinder one from doing an operation or a work. To hinder one from doing an operation or a work. So in other words, when you quench the spirit, what you're doing is you are not giving him the tools you, that he needs to do the job. That's what hinder means. That's what quench means. Hinder someone from doing a work. So when I quench the spirit, I'm not giving him the tools I need. He needs to do the job. You can have a shop full of tools. But if you're missing that one socket, and usually it's a 10 millimeter socket. If you're missing that one socket, it doesn't matter how many toolboxes you have full of tools. If you're missing that one socket, you're not doing anything. It just takes one tool. If that's gone, you might as well, you might as well head to O'Reilly's and pick one up because you're not going any further without that socket. Now, here's the thing. Uh, 
we hinder the Holy Spirit because we don't provide him with the right tools. Well, what are the right tools, Brother Brent? Well, the right tools are his principles, his precepts, his, uh, his, his, his promises, the scriptures, the word of God. The word of God is the tool he needs to do his job. And what we have to do is we have to realize we have to get into God's word every chance we get. Every chance we get to be in the house of God and hear preachers stand up and preach from the Bible, we need to have it. We need to do that. We need to uh, every day. We need to open up our Bible and read our Word because the Holy Spirit needs tools to work. It's like he's at the job site, standing around with his hands in his pocket, twiddling his thumbs because we've turned off the power. We turned off the, the generator. None of his tools work and he can't work. And he's just standing there on the clock, running out the clock, not doing anything because the power to the job site is turned off because he doesn't have any tools to work with. And so go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. So what we have this morning is the protocol of power. This is what we need to follow in order to be filled with the Spirit. In order to get those things we talked about at the beginning. In order to get those things, I have to have a brokenness in my will. I have to grieve not the Spirit with sin. I have to quench not the Spirit by withholding the tool of the Word of God to Him. And then number four, I have to thirst after him. I have to thirst after him. Luke chapter 11, let's begin reading in verse number 9. And I say unto you, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. If it's a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father... Will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? Listen to this verse. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father, here it is, give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? You know what this whole passage of Scripture is about? Is about? This whole passage of Scripture here is about the prayer of importunity. The prayer of importunity. Now, uh, the prayer of importunity, it's about somebody thirsting after God to answer a request. This person is, is thirsting after God. He's begging God to answer his request. Oh, God, please, I, I beg you to answer my request. I'm asking you over and over to uh, 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 grant my request. I'm thirsting after you to answer my request. And we find out in verse 13 what the request is. This person is asking for the Spirit of God. That's what this person is asking for. That's what the prayer is all about. This person is begging and thirsting for the Spirit of God in his life. So, how do you get the feeling of the Holy Spirit? How do you get the fullness of God? Well, you got to have a brokenness. You got to stop grieving Him. You got to stop quenching Him. But then you got to thirst after Him. You have to thirst after him you've got to go to god and you've got to say god more than anything else in my life
I want to be filled with the Spirit of God. I want it more than anything. You have to be thirsty for it. So I think I think about when do I get thirsty? When do I get thirsty? Well, number one, I get thirsty when I have a lot of salt. I eat a lot of crackers, potato chips. I get thirsty. You get thirsty when you when you eat a lot of salt. Uh, salt makes you thirsty. You know what? Get around salty people. If you get around people that are thirsting after the Spirit of God, you will develop a thirst for the Spirit of God. But only when, when you get around people that are thirsty for the Spirit, you'll get thirsty for the Spirit. Uh, another time I get thirsty is when I exercise. I'm on this new thing where before I lift weights, I jog a mile. So I get on the treadmill and I jog a mile. Now I don't jog the whole mile. There might be some power walking going on up in there. But I'm working up to it. And let me tell you that when I get off the treadmill, you know the first place I go? The water fountain. I'm going to smash that water fountain. And if there's nobody standing behind me, I'm going to be there a little minute. Okay? I go straight for that water fountain. You know what will make you thirsty? When you start taking steps of faith, you will get thirsty. When you start stepping out on faith, you'll get thirsty for the Spirit of God because you'll see how much you need it. Uh, when you start to run the race that is set before you, you'll get thirsty. When you press towards the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus and you start striving for higher things, you'll get thirsty for the Spirit of God. When you fight the good fight of faith, you'll get thirsty for the Spirit of God. And when you start exercising your faith, you will see how much you need the Holy Spirit. Because you're going you're gonna to do that. You're going to look around and say, you know what? Doing this thing in the flesh is for the birds. I need the Spirit of God. I don't want to live, the, I don't want to live in the flesh anymore. I want the Spirit of God. And you know when the third instance I get thirsty is? I get thirsty when I'm around heat. The closer you are to the sun, S-O-N, the closer you are to him, the more thirsty for his spirit you'll be. You want the Holy Spirit's filling? You have to be broken. Your will has to be broken. Your will has to die so that his can live. You've got to stop grieving the Holy Spirit with sin because he goes everywhere you go and he sees everything you do. You've got to stop quenching the Holy Spirit. Give him his tools back. Pick up the Bible. Start reading it. Get into it. Study it. Start giving him the tools. If you want the Spirit of God, you've got to be thirsty for it. You've got to beg God for it. And if you beg God and you say, God, I want it more than anything else in my life. I want to be filled with the Spirit. He'll give it to you.